This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero Procure. Zero Procure takes the time to understand your business, whether in hospitality or any other industry, and do all the heavy lifting when it comes to procurement. I'm delighted that their support will keep this show accessible and free to listen to wherever you access your podcasts. Please get in touch with them for a chat. Just click on the link in the show notes or visit their site at zeroprocure.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Pooja Sharma-Jones, Chief Marketing Officer at No Alcohol Cocktail Superstars, Mocktails. Coming up on today's show... Pooja pioneers a new marketing strategy. You know, something like marketing with poo. Phil talks about pigeons. Pigeons are a pain, but I, I yeah. would never wish harm on them. And Pooja discovers the secret to a good life. I make myself laugh, that matters. All that and so much more as we chat through Pooja's awesome career so far. And what a career it is that she showcases for us having spent time with some real power brands in the industry, such as Harrods and Soho House, and now leading the marketing at one of the most prominent no-alcohol brands out there, Mocktails.com. Our chat is a laugh a minute as Pooja demonstrates to us all that you can have so much fun in this industry whilst building yourself one very serious career. A huge thank you to her for bringing her A-game on the banter. One final thing, if you're enjoying the show, I'd be forever grateful if you can go and leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. It makes such a difference to the show and where we can go with it. Enjoy. And a huge hospitality meets. Welcome to Pooja Sharma-Jones, or is it Pooji Pants? Oh, it depends It depends where you're looking. If you're looking on LinkedIn, it'll be Pooja Sharma-Jones. And if you're looking at my Instagram and Twitter, it'll be Pooji Pants. Yes, I, I feel like there's a story here, but um, uh, yeah. I, can't, I wanted to tell the story of, of yeah. actually. You want to start off with that already? Well, yeah, let's straight in. Let's do it because uh, the um, how how we're having this conversation is kind of the joy of of the world that we live in now with tech everywhere and all that sort of stuff. You have been an avid liker of my content for a long time. And I've always just in the back of my mind going, it's an interesting name, Poogee Pants. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, I looked at your background a little bit and I thought, oh, wow, you've you've got a really cool background and very relevant for the show. So that's what I thought it'd be worth reaching out to you. But I wasn't sure yeah. if Poogee Pants was your real name. No, it isn't. I'll, I'll tell you how that came about. It, it goes back to when I was about 16 and I had my first kind of weekend job and a colleague, being the immature colleague that he was, was like, oh, so your name's like, Pooja I mean yeah like like Pooja pants I was like not 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 really um but then it kind of became this little sort of cute version you know they changed it to Pooji pants so so the office just knew me as Pooji pants and it was just kind of done in such an affectionate way that it stuck yeah and so when you know when when I decided to go on social and launch my account I was like well, what, what can I call myself you know Pooja's a bit boring so I, I went with Pooji pants it hasn't adversely affected anything. It I think. certainly hasn't. No, no. I think no, you've got you've got you have a, a nicely formed following. I think uh, <laughs> uh, as well. Nicknames are a thing, though, aren't they? I mean, especially back in early early days. Do you know what my nickname was when I was at college? Oh, go on. It was very original. Yeah. Pigeon. Oh. Yeah, because my second name's Street, and you remember that children's program, Pigeon yes. Street. Yes, I thought it might be for some other reason, something not. So pleasant, but no. yeah. <laughs> pigeons are a pain. But I, I yeah. would never wish harm on them. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that's probably enough of that. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Yeah, in any case, yeah. yeah. So, um, just for the the uninitiated out there, just tell us 
what it is that you currently do? Yes, so currently, last two years actually, I work for an alcohol-free cocktail brand called Mocktails. And I uh, head up the marketing, so I'm the CMO for the group. We largely operate in the UK, US, uh, and in Canada. So yeah, that, that's what I'm currently working uh, working on and working for. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, uh, the uh, I think I also saw on your, your profile that you're, I mean, you're a chief marketing officer, but you're, I think you put it down as chief marketing officer. Yeah. I think you've got like a bit that. of fun with these things, don't you? And yeah. I think, you know, now that we all work from home and you don't have that kind of office banter anymore I kind of have to keep myself entertained so I thought it'd be fine and again again LinkedIn is the more professional version you know literally CMO yeah. and then my Instagram is more more playful yeah, so, yeah as, as it should be marketing officers what I like to go with yeah well I, I just believe that uh, playfulness should be everywhere I don't care if it's LinkedIn or whatever you know send yeah. them send the message of who you are and people will come to you or not I I, I agree with that and I've always been myself uh and that can be a bit immature a bit a bit filthy in some of the things I say but I think um you just have to have that fun side of you and I think especially in a hospitality industry when you know traditional hospitality you know when when I work there um you've got to be hospitable yourself you have to have uh energy and fun and and you know just because you work in the office and you're a support role you know you should you should still have that about you yeah. so I've tried to always maintain that I still think I'm you know I'm 44 this year but I probably behave like I'm 25 yeah, um, yeah. so I should I should maybe change that a little no. bit so. <laughs> no 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 what's that is that don't grow up it's uh it's a it's a lie or something yeah like, yeah, yeah definitely yeah, absolutely. And and on that note, I mean I'm 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 one for always trying to find the fun wherever I can. Like it took me a long time to realize that that's me. Stop trying yeah. to be this person that you know is tries to put on a facade for business and all of that. It's just a case of this is me now. If you want to do business with me then great. I'll I'll welcome the conversation, but yeah. if if you don't want to have fun, then that's also fine. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is uh, Mocktails, uh, it, it, the founder is American, so we have an uh, American team, and the sense of humour is quite different, and sometimes I find that I will make a gag and it just falls on deaf ears, and I have to right. just let it go and think, this is a British thing, this kind of, sometimes the language, you know, and, and things we say, but yeah, sometimes I have to I have to strip it back a bit, because I'll think, oh, I'm, I'm going to be the only one laughing at my own gag here, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's always an interesting one. You can always see that with the stand-up comedians, can't you? Where they're they're the British comedians don't really ever make it in America, and vice versa. So there is clearly a difference in what we all find funny. Very true. Very true. I make myself laugh. So that matters. Yeah, but that's absolutely. I could spend uh, half of my day just laughing at innate stuff. Um, <laughs> but in any case, and and equally, if anybody is watching this on video in the future. You're currently called Richard Jones. I've just noticed that on your... Yes, I mean, this goes back to um, how we came about trying to set this up and me being a complete technophobe. So I'm on my husband's laptop. So, um, yeah, so I am Richard Jones on video. Very good. Excellent. Well, that's... uh, Yeah, I I mean, I could probably just talk fun all day, to be honest, but that's not why we're here. We're we're here for fun. But, um, yeah, so let's go all the way back to the beginning of your career. How did you get into hospitality in the first place? Um, I'd say it started my love of sort of food initially. Um, my dad's run a restaurant for many, many years. My family's from Birmingham and he ran a very successful Indian restaurant, which is still running. And as a toddler, I was always in venue. So on the weekend, you know, I was there 
and I saw my dad just be this completely amazing, charismatic GM. So, you know, I was there for years growing up. because I said, he's, he's 77 now and he still does a bit of part-time work for them. So, you know, you can see how, how far back I'm going. And as I grew up, I was still going to the restaurant. And I always saw my dad making people feel amazing. And, um, you know, the customers used to come to the house because, you know, if, if, if they gave him a tip, you know, often it was taken by the management and never given to the person that earned it. So his customers used to come to the house and bring, you know, back in the back in the day, it was Pierre Cardin was the sort of shoe brand of choice. And they'd knock on the door and say, this is for your dad. Right. Uh, because he was he made them feel so welcome. So that was my kind of first foray into the industry, as it were, seeing my dad be this amazing GM. And then when I went to university, I did a marketing and mass communications degree. And now that's a very different type of degree. Mass comms back then was not social and digital. It was literally, you know, print media and, um, you know, all of the old school stuff. And I found myself doing that degree, not really knowing where I wanted to go with it. But my first job was at Tebaker, so retail. And that was the first job um, as a marketing, um, you know, assistant. I then moved to Liberty. So again, moving from a retail to a a department store. And I looked after kind of everything in that store from a marketing perspective. It's not a big store if you've been, you know, it's a very compact department store. And I was was responsible for working with all the relevant departments like rugs, because that's what they were known for then, the wine shop. There wasn't a food offer, but, you know, fashion and jewellery. And I think as you find in these, in the sector, in hospitality and retail, maybe all sectors, but you move with people. You know, you move with good people. So somebody in the PR team then moved to Selfridges, uh, told me about a job there. Um, And I'd say that's where my true love of food, drink, hospitality was developed at Selfridges, because that was the role. It was food, restaurants, marketing and PR manager. You know, that that was considered the kind of not so sexy department. It isn't where the money came from. You know, it was all jewellery and designer gear and handbags. But food halls drove the footfall in. So, you know, we'd always get everyone coming in and then they sort of go up, you know, different departments. And I had amazing bosses at, at Selfridges. You know, my uh, food and beverage director was Ewan Venters, who was the uh, CEO of Fortnum Mason, now at Housing. Yeah. <clears throat> so I had the best person to report into. And, you know, we had an amazing buying team. And I worked with the restaurant teams and concessions and different brands that we had in like Krispy Kreme and chopped salads and, you know, the wine shop. So I had um, a real overview of food and drink. And I also looked after books. So funnily enough, you know, they were like, oh, home, that's not sexy either. Give that to Pooja. So I did food, home and restaurants. (laughs) And part of the home department was um, books, W.H. Smith. And most of the book signings that we did were with chefs. So you can imagine right. back in back in the day as well, you know, Gordon Ramsay would come in and sign his books or Pierre or Marco Pierre White would come in or Gino DeCampo. So I did food and I did books and I just loved the two areas because, like I said, they were largely chefs and it was um, food and drink. So I that's a, a, a book is uh, like for certainly in that environment for a chef is a great marketing tool in itself, though, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, we used to have cues outside of the store, you know, because normally they have a TV show at the same time. So they talk about their book and and promote it. Um, And it's accessible. You know, you get to meet somebody that you're uh, in awe of if you're a foodie and you can get a book for £15 and it's signed. And it just drove loads of, again, football to the store. So Mm. that's where my passion developed of this is what I'm good at. And, um, you know, we did some amazing projects at Selfridges with food. 
And, and again, I think the project that really made me think, wow, my area and what I'm doing is actually being noticed by the managing director and the wider company. We were the first store to really push what we, it was a campaign called Project Ocean. And it was very much about telling customers about sustainability and how you can eat differently and, and start to sort of save the planet. And my area, food and restaurants, was a huge part of that because I was putting on uh, events in the food hall with all these chefs who were coming in and talking about different types of fish you could eat, you know. And, and so suddenly the food halls became quite a sexy thing. We were getting approached by lots of different countries who wanted to give us money to say, look, can we turn your food hall into a taste of Malaysia food hall or a taste of Thailand? So it became quite a big revenue generator as well. Mm. So I was at Selfridges for about five years, um, you know, overseeing everything under those um, areas. And very um, cool. Like, especially as, as it, yeah, it, you know, it was ahead of its time anyway at the time. This is, we're talking 2007 to 2012. Right. Um, and um, I, I really enjoyed it, you know, and I was still quite young then. Uh, and then Harrods made an approach. And I was like, no, uh, I'm not interested because I think Mohammed Al-Fed was there at the time. And I said, that's not really the sort of culture and environment I want to go into. So I sort of said, no. Then they came back again and it was a home role. It was a home marketing and PR role. And I thought, thousand thread Egyptian cotton doesn't really float my boat, but they've got an amazing food hall. And if I take this role... I maybe can move into food. And bizarrely, six months in, the girl who looked after food halls and restaurants moved to go to Fortnum and Mason. So that was immediately a kind of gardening leave, leave, you know, competitor. And my uh, F&B and restaurants director, Bruce Langlands, knew that I'd been at Selfridges. So he immediately came to the head of marketing and said, I know who can immediately step into this role. So I was like, oh, thank God, you know, this is what I wanted. And that job was amazing because, you know, if you think about the the tourists that come in, the food hall was incredible even before it had its revamp. Um, you know, there were amazing restaurants in there, amazing wine shop, wine and spirits department. You know, uh, um, they generated a lot of revenue through media sales. So um, as a department, as a marketing function, there was me on the kind of marketing side, but I had a media salesperson that would come to every meeting with me and sell digital escalator panels to drinks brands and we'd be able to right. say a chocolate brand from the middle east well this is the this is the door that this particular customer profile comes through so you need to advertise here so it was a really i'd call it a very clever model that they had I, and everything we did at harrods was data driven you know selfridge was very much you know, led by the heart what did we want to do that was trendy harrods was is the data telling you to do x y and z so that for me was an incredible skill that i then learned you know, how to do an event for a, a Petrus, but target top spending, you know, male customers who buy watches and suits. Uh, and we we had those teams to be able to help us get that data. And I actually loved Harrods. I had no reason to uh, move. <laughs> and then another brand made an approach and this was Soho House. Right. Um, I suppose at this point as well, you, you're, you're, you're at Harrods. I mean, that's the same at Selfridges, I guess, is that, you know, these are power brands, you know, they're, yes. they're brands that do, I suppose, people around the industry and in whatever form that looks like, whether it's retail food, whatever, look at these brands as like, what's, what's going on over there? You know, and people who are doing good stuff there just kind of naturally get put on the radar. Exactly. And, um, you know, we did amazing things in terms of, the food and drink side, you know, we, um, it was actually my idea that, and they still run with this, but we, um, 
we started inviting chefs in to have their product in our trateur counter. So people like Tom Aitkins and Michael Keynes, and I would make those approaches to them and say, look, we want a food to go concept with your name behind it. And we can give you this space within our trateur counter. And um, it was not only just a PR and a marketing hook, but it was a way to get people into the food hall and buy product. Um, and, that, and that's still running. Um, Chef of the Season is what, what I called it. I'm not sure if it's still called, called that. But I just got involved in really exciting projects. But like I said, I was quite, I was quite content, you know, um, been there a few years. Um, and then the CMO of Soho House dropped me a note, direct approach through LinkedIn and said, look, you know, you know who Soho House are. We've got all these private members clubs. We don't really need somebody on that side because we've got a monthly fee coming in from our members. It kind of runs itself. People are bought into the brand and the aspirational brand. But Nick Jones has 26 restaurants underneath Soho House. Chicken Shop, Dirty Burger, Pizzeries, Pizzeries Soho Kitchen and Bar, Chaconis. Um, I mean, you forget that they've got all these different yeah, brands. And don't forget, the, at the time, there were three or four of these. And then there were um, restaurants inside hotels. So every single restaurant inside the Hoxton Hotel, which is part of Ennismore, was owned by Soho House. Yeah. Um, so they needed somebody to kind of work with those hotel partners. Um, so I, I got approached for that job. And, you know, again, I was younger and I was like, this is sexy as hell. I'm off. You know, who doesn't want to work for Sarah House, you know? Yeah. So I moved over there. Different culture, pace, you know, it, it's it's full on. But, um, you know, I loved what I did because, again, individual brands underneath the portfolio, the you know, the gravitas that has, you know, as soon as you said you worked for Soho House, you were everyone's friend. Everybody wanted a membership, you know, and it, it was an amazing job, amazing team there. You know, so again, I was working with, you know, op direct, uh, sorry, operations directors, all of the GMs. Um, there was a creative, a digital person that reported into me. And, you know, we were very much led by Nick's vision. So, you know, we'd always sort of, he, he'd go away on trips to Hong Kong and come back and say, I'm bringing this pop-up over. We're, we're changing everything. <laughs> Make it happen, yeah. So, you know, you worked in this really fast-paced environment, but it was just such a cool job. And, you know, it was an amazing, uh, we had an amazing PR team. So, you know, everything we did worked. Everything we did worked. And actually, that was the first role where my um, reporting structure changed. So I was reporting to the CMO. And then, and then they decided, let's put you under the operations director, and that then really changed my skill set again, because normally, as you will know, sometimes operations and marketing can be a bit of a fight. Yeah. yeah. And and this this sort of change of reporting meant that I was in all the trading meetings. I understood what was going on in every site. And then rather than a GM saying, oh, sales are down, what are you going to do about it, marketing? You know, I would then say, well, hold on. Let me go into that site. Let me order breakfast, because you're saying that's the period of time that we're struggling with. It's not a marketing issue. I was put in a cold corner. The service was shit. The eggs were cold. It's not a marketing thing. Yeah. Um, so that was really interesting for me to actually suddenly go, this isn't my thing to fix. Yeah. Um, it, it actually, marketing something that, that shit is a bit difficult, isn't it, really? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so, you know, working working for the ops director was, was a sort of game changer for me because you know, I realized actually this isn't a them and us game. We, we've got to work collaboratively. And um, my operations director at the time then moved to Drake and Morgan uh, as an operations director there. And, and then he gave me a call and said, look, um, we don't have a marketing director. We've got a head of marketing. 
I think you would be amazing. Uh, it's a nine start operation. It's growing. It's private equity backed. What, what, what are you saying? You know, and um, like I said before, you move with people, right? He was an amazing person to work with. Yeah. I knew who I was going to be dealing with. Um, so I joined Drake and Morgan, which like I said at the time had nine bars. And in the year that I was there, you know, we went from nine sites to 26. And of those 26, wow. 11 were Corny and Barrow wine bars. So we bought them uh, and then sold some of them off, rebranded a few, opened four sites in two months, you know, two regionally, Jeez. one in Edinburgh, one in Manchester. And, you know, it was a small team. It was me, head of marketing and marketing assistant. So we're trying to do all of this um, over, over a period of a year. And that was, again, amazing learning for me because I was just like, you know, I've come from working for... Uh, multiple different types of brands underneath an umbrella company so you know you've had these department stores but all these departments within that Soho House and all their various brands um, Drake and Morgan and all of their different sites different named sites different you know menus were largely same but um, you know we treated them as individual bars um, so yeah. we did plans for each each site and I think for me, the reason that I then moved on from Drake and Morgan was I'd come from these brands that had been all about customer. You know, these are premium brands. And everything we did was about consistency of serve, the best product, the best customer service. Um, and then I found myself in something that was private equity backed. And that just changed the whole dynamic. It was, you know, copy and paste. Let's open, 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 open. The business was very much about labor, GP costs what was selling, you know, Peroni versus a burger. And I just hadn't come from that world, being very honest. I think, yeah. I was like, but what about the customer? You know, I'd come from that piece. But, but but you know, when you've got investors on your back and you've got to open these sites and make them profitable, your, your marketing changes. So I'd sort of done that whole big project because I thought I need to see that through. And then came to the realisation, I know a lot of people. I've been doing this for a long time. I should maybe give this a go on my own. And if it doesn't work, I'll go get another job. And that won't be a problem. Yeah. So for four and a half years from 2016, and this is where I feel a bit embarrassed for myself because I literally set up the company thing. I'll do this for a bit. So I just set it up as PSJ marketing consultancy. I mean, how bloody boring. <laughs> I mean, come on, Poogee Pants. <laughs> Twitch accounts marketing, right? I let myself down. And everyone was like, oh, so you're setting up, what are you calling yourself? And I was like, well, I've just called it my name because I don't I don't think it's going to work. And I don't think <laughs> I'm going to do it for long. And I really regret that because I think I would have done something cheeky, you know, something like marketing with poo or poo marketing or something shocking that people would just go, holy fuck, we need to speak to her because this is a bit mad. Yeah. Or spicy pea or something, you know. But, that's that's what, what we're I'm... talking about earlier on, right? Like you would, yes, you'd probably switch off. <laughs> However much percent of people who would look at that and go, oh, God, I'm not going to go oh, near God. that. And oh, then the other God. lot who would go, oh, that's different. That's what really cool. About? Yeah, what's yeah. she about? So, yeah, I, I, really boring. Obviously, just, just called it by name, just for the purposes of accounting. And suddenly a load of people in the industry just said, we know somebody that could do with your help. You know, and and again, that goes back to treat people right, behave well, and and that will come back to you when you need it. Um, so I was really lucky that everybody I'd worked with over the years had said, uh, "Oh, we know someone who could help you." And actually, one of my clients was Soho House, 
um, because they had opened Molly's Motel and Diner on the A420. Uh, and I came in again as a consultant to, to help them over an eight month period with um, the uh, chicken shop restaurants, Dirty Burger, Pizzeries and Molly's. Um, I did some work with Richard Caring at Caprice for Bills. Uh, that was amazing. That was a sort of, right, how do we uh, rebrand and relaunch three sites? And then I helped a lot of individual independent restaurants. You know, I had a Greek client in Soho called Suvlaki, um, a retained client for a couple of years called Pasta Remily. You know, I did some work with Sticks and Sushi and their Soho uh, opening. Lucky Saint, who's in my alcohol-free space. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I had this amazing sort of list of clients but but the challenge that you have when you're a, a consultant and I didn't want to hire anybody I didn't want to become an agency is that you're limited by obviously how much work you can take on and how much work you can do when you take those clients on yeah. um, but and, I love and it can be a, a, a lonely existence as well can't it that's yeah that's... It, it really was and I'm a, I'm a chatter I like to be around people I like to bounce ideas off but but it worked and it was very successful and um uh, one of the clients was Mocktails, so who I'm now with as a, a full-time employee. A, a colleague from Harrods gave me a call. He's he's our CCO. So he joined from Harrods and he said, look, um, I've joined this alcohol-free company called Mocktails. And I was like, uh, well, what are they called? He's like, um, they, they're called Mocktails because I thought he was just talking generically. Ju- yeah, yeah. Like, oh, they're called Mocktails. That's amazing. That's yeah. cool. That's so, like, that, that domain must have cost a couple of quid. Yeah, I'm like, wow, you've got the URL for that, you know, mocktails.com. Um, so I said, look, before I do any work, I always say, let me come and eat in the restaurant or send me the product to try because I am not going to be the ambassador of something I don't believe in yeah. or, or will buy. So we dropped a crate of mocktails over at the house. You know, we, my husband and I drank them and said, you know what, these these are good. You know, the, these are good alcohol-free cocktails. So they were my um, client. Um, and I was doing three days a week for them whilst juggling through for other clients. And, um, you know, eight months in, Ed had had a couple of conversations with me and said, look, you know, why why don't you join us? And actually, for me, it felt I've done eight months. I've covered the probation, as in my my opinion of the company, not just what they think of me. They, they liked yeah, yeah. me, but I was like, you know what? I'm in no rush. Let's Let's just keep doing what we're doing. And I want to see how this pans out. And it was all heading in the right direction. So I, I felt like, you know what, why not? I'll shut down the consultancy. I've never worked for a drinks brand before. So that gave me a new uh, string to my bow. I've never done alcohol free before. And I knew that's where it was certainly heading. Um, I'd never worked for one brand before because I'd always worked for these. Of course. Kind of- yeah. So, so I joined the company for many reasons, but they, they were some of them. You know, it was they're nice people. It's a single brand. I like what they're doing in terms of the product and the offering. I like the ethos and the culture. So I joined them full time in December 2020, I'm tempted to say. Yeah. So I've been I've been with the company about over two years as a consultant and full time. Yeah. So that's where I've that's my sort of journey, I guess. Yeah. And here we are. And and here we are. Yeah, and well, also, like you said you saw that I was uh, you know, liking your Instagram content. And, you know, I think uh, as marketeers, we're we're always on Instagram and looking and, you know, engaging. And, and I'm, I'm a, you know, I love hospitality, even if I'm not, you know, traditionally in it anymore. So um, I always, I always see who's out there. And that's how I was looking at, you know, your content and tuning in. And yeah, you know, that, that's how we came about each other. 
Indeed, yeah, and you say you're not in hospitality, but at the end of the day, yeah. the you know there is not there's no hospitality in some instances without drink, right? And yeah. uh, and especially these days, well, I remember I think we might have spoken about this off microphone before actually around. I remember a headline in January at some point about saying that that dry January is killing pubs, mm. and I remember thinking to myself, one crap headline, two. The world of drink is changing. Why are you not changing with it? Like, I mean, you know, it's it's like when pubs, uh, you know, when the no smoking ban came in and everybody said that'll be the death of pubs. No, just means you've got to evolve how you run your business. Yeah. Um, same yeah. principle now, I'd say, on on the, yeah. the low and no space. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I've been in there a couple of years and I've just seen how it's just gone. Whew, yeah. And the number of brands in the space, you know, there's probably over 300, 350 and there's all the time very well um you know lucky saint have got the you know the alcohol free beer market nailed you know and actually in terms of what we do we're we're a ready to drink drink solution you know you don't have to add anything to us you can have it as it is you know and, and but the idea of mocktails and how we came about was as most founders really uh, develop products it was a, a personal need you know it was um bill you know, his wife was pregnant and she was a, a swimmer. She had a scholarship for a swim, swimming when she was younger. So she she didn't drink. And all the options out there were just, you know, overly sugary, really sweet, you know, cranberry juice or, you know, uh, Coke and things like that. So that yeah. that's how uh, Bill and the founders came about with creating um, uh, the product. And actually, we were at an event this week, which was a leased and tenanted event uh, with pub, pub operators and literally how how can they navigate the economic crisis and how can they draw people back in? And actually, one of the speakers, I think it was the CEO of Punch Taverns, um, had said, you know, the customer is there, but their needs have changed. And as publicans and operators, you have to adapt your offering to cater for uh, whether it's the vegan and, and or, you know, or having alcohol free options. And, you know, I think there's, there's data that Cam had shared that one in three pub visits are an alcohol free experience you know one degree and so you know if you're in hospitality and and operators you do have to if you're not making these drinks yourself some of the premium places can do that themselves obviously but if you're if you're high churn you've got lots of footfall and volume and you need a good drink solution you know something like mocktails is where we would fit in because like I said it's ready to drink but it's amazing just seeing where the market's heading and, and who's who's consuming that product because actually everybody who buys mocktails are drinkers they're moderators, they're me and you. I say that knowing, like I know your drinking habits, but people who maybe yeah. think, I can't drink in the week because I'm busy, but I do still want to have something at the weekend. What do I drink in the week? And that's where we're finding our customer base is coming from. It isn't um, people who are completely teetotal. Obviously, they do buy the product, but most of the revenue is coming from moderators. Let's cut back. Let's be a little bit healthier. And, you know, people are willing to pay a premium price for good product. You know, people often say, oh, it's got, it's got no alcohol, though. But, you know, everything in our drinks is is completely natural. Um, you know, it's uh, vegan and gluten-free. They're better for you. And actually, it takes a lot of work making alcohol-free drinks taste great. Yeah, yeah. Not just extraction of a, the alcohol. It's it's what you put back in. And so, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time perfecting the product. Uh, it comes in a bottle. It comes in a nitro can. And by nitro, I mean, just going to model it. There you go, model it. And if you haven't drunk it yet, when you do open the can, uh, there's a widget in there. So obviously that that releases the nitrogen through, through the liquid. So you'll get that sort of tsh sound. But then when you pour the drink, 
uh, you'll also um, visually see that it looks a little bit different. It might have a froth on there. So we've spent a lot of time perfecting that. Um, but yeah, the market is certainly saturated. We're having to play differently because, you know, even I'm finding that, uh, you know, as a CMO, we we do a lot of events and trade shows and sponsor things and the same brands are now at these events. And you Nudging, don't need to become boring for the, whether it's an operator, whether it's a customer. So because, you know, the market still hasn't quite grown with us, you know, the number of brands has suddenly gone crazy bonkers. You know, we're going to have to play slightly differently. Um, and, and, you know, we're doing that now. We're looking at sort of our US market and how we approach distribution. And and in the UK, you know, how do we... Uh, D2C is obviously a, a channel for us, but I think it's that operator route um, that's key. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, and that's why we do these things like the least and tenanted pub event, because that's where we get to speak directly to those operators and say, well try the product who who's your distribution channel via we, we can get it listed and you know away you go yeah um so yeah it's a it's a interesting space and and it's going to just get well we'll learn more and more and you know and again um the jet the gen z gen z you know it's it's the younger the audience that is um not drinking mm. so uh whilst they're not the ones who are buying our product right now that's who we want to target yeah well, I mean, you're right. It, it, it's the younger. I, I'm still drinking. But yeah. as you said, I'm drinking a hell of a lot less than, you know, and I think there's a lot of people like me that, you know, one, we're now at an age where, like, it's the hangover is just not worth it anyway. Yeah. Um, and, um, but to, you know, as you say, you, you there's, we're all generally very busy. There's nothing worse than not being at your best for you know, the vast majority of your week in order to achieve what you want to get done. Yeah. You were very kind enough to, to send me uh, some of your your products before we, we had the chat, which I have had the joy of sampling okay. all all but the Mocarita. I have to say I've not had that okay. yet. Well, maybe but... save that one for the 22nd of Feb because that's National Margarita Day. Well, there we go then. You can have your alcohol-free equivalent. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say... The one that I modelled for you, which obviously, if you're listening to this, you'll you'll never know, but uh, was the uh, the mock school mule. See what you yes, did there. Yes. Bloody delicious. Do you know they they honestly my uh, favourites change. Mine was the mockerita, then it was the mock school mule, and I did moist January. So I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and behave. <laughs> and when and when I did, I know people hate that word. And when I did behave, I mainly drank sangria. Right. Um, which is which is um, great, and and the Moxco mule that you said you like works really nicely with spicy food, so Thai or Indian. So yeah, there's there's five flavors. The one that you are missing is the espresso martini. So I do apologise. That's, that's our latest launch, and uh, that tastes pretty incredible. It's if you're a drinker of the cocktail version, everyone who's tried it has said it, this is pretty damn close. And yeah, so that one's definitely the one that's um, getting lots of ums and ahs at events and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, I look. You've made a fan of me. Um, I'm so I'm really grateful that you have been liking my content. It's amazing the old sliding doors moments, right, in your life, whereby you think if you hadn't been doing that, would I reached out to you? Would you have ever reached out to me? We have something like 180 shared connections on LinkedIn, but our paths have never crossed. So yeah, weird. And you know, in the industry is so small. You know, um, hospitality and drink. We all know each other. Um, I did a podcast like this actually a few years ago with Mark McCulloch. Um, oh, yeah. Who's coming back. Is he coming back? I love Mark. Yes, yeah. And um, that was when I just started the consultancy. So he had me on to, from that perspective, really, to kind of go, you've worked in these amazing places. You've left them. 
but why? Yeah. And now you're this, why? So actually it's quite nice to come on and talk to you because I've left that now and, yep. and doing something completely different um, in terms of industry. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's it's really, it, I'm still learning as well, you know, in, in this sector. It is the alcohol-free world, you know, it's it's an interesting one to, to you know, get your hands around and uh, learn. And that's why I joined the company. It was like, I've never done this this sector before. Let's let's take it on. Yeah. Plus what you mentioned earlier on around, like, you know, there are basic principles in play. Like, if you like the people, you like the product and you like what they stand for, then like it doesn't really matter, does it? If you're yeah. if you've been uh, f- you know fully self employed for your whole career, or whether you're a career person, and then you you get the opportunity to go and work as a consultant for a brand that you really love and connect with, that's there's the fluidity available to to people who work in hospitality and all its related sectors as well, which I would absolutely place drink as a major part of of hospitality. You can't have it without it. Yeah, and I also think with hospitality, it just it's one of the industries that I found that you can come in as the PA or the floor manager in a restaurant and work your way up very, very quickly. And and Sir House is an example of that. You know, you, you'd see people who were literally baristas, suddenly ops directors five years later. Yeah. And, you know, you did even same with us, you know, when uh, I was interviewing somebody to try and get, get a social person on board and things like that, I didn't care that they didn't have a marketing degree. It was just, I just need you to be passionate about the industry and want to learn. And we can teach you everything on the job. Uh, I don't need you to come to me with the four P's and, and product mixes, you know, just just be savvy and have some common sense and have an interest and we can do the rest. And I just think our, our industry is one of the only ones that I think you can kind of join and learn on the job. Yeah. You don't have to have a qualification in it. You know, I've got a marketing degree, which, you know, of course it helps, but um, it's not a prerequisite when I'm looking at sort of, people that might join the team in the future mm, yeah so uh, we actually i mean you 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 regaled your career wonderfully in terms of you've conjured up wonderful images in my head of all of these different places but we actually haven't really unpacked it i suppose which i'm not we're not going to spend an hour doing don't worry um yeah. i can see that kind of your body language changed a little bit then <laughs> <laughs> yeah but actually and really the major question for me is where did the desire to go and pursue marketing as a as a career come from? Because you you mentioned that your your father was a you know an inspiration to you in terms of what you saw. But yeah. how did that then? How did you take that inspiration and turn it into actually wanting to go and pursue marketing? It, it isn't anything to um, you know. It, it came down to parenting. My mom and dad, um, and this might be a bit of an Indian thing as well. They just scared the shit out of me and said, you know, you. <laughs> You need to do do a business degree, you know, whatever that meant to them. But they were just like, you know, uh, you need to do something that will um, have longevity, you know, uh, and business is the way forward, business, you know. So I was like, oh, and so I did a business A-level, you know, <laughs> that's that what it was called, business yeah. A-level, probably something else now. I did quite well in that, understood, you know, the fundamentals behind it all. And I just thought, where do I now go with this? And then when I was looking at university courses, I just thought, oh, I think I'd be good at that. So, you know, that's the, so the business side came from my parents saying you should be doing this kind of A level, and then the marketing piece came from me just thinking, I think I'd be good at that because yeah. you know I like all the various channels that are involved. I like doing events and I like 
you know, um, partnerships. And I like the customer piece that I told you about. And it just all felt that marketing was the right thing for me. And yeah, that's so that's how I then did that degree and then thought, like I said, the Ted Baker thing came by accident as a first job. Um, and, and that's how it sort of developed. If I was to do something completely different, though, but if you'd say if you weren't in marketing and hospitality, what would you be doing? Good question. To myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just posed that question from you to me. Yeah. I, Sorry, I'll, I'll, let's do that again. I'll just edit, uh, edit that out. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would love to be a psychiatrist. Really? Interesting. I'm, um, I'm fascinated by behaviour and why yeah. people do things. And I uh, can see how that would be really, that's like a really useful inquisitive behavior to have in your role as well right and and I think you know as a person I'm very self-aware you know if somebody said to me you can behave like this I'm like I know but you know it will never be a shock if somebody said you were a bit abrupt with someone earlier I'd be like yeah I know and I think so many people lack that very basic skill I couldn't agree more yeah and um I've worked with some fascinating people over the years. And I think some of the names I've dropped in there, there's interesting personalities, there's red personalities, you know, in terms of breaking them down by colour and going, oh, this is how they work. Yeah. Um, and I think hospitality, you know, has been known in the past for being quite full on. You know, it's fast paced, it's pressurised. You know, you can see a lot of companies now are really, you know, uh, investing in well-being and mental health in hospitality. And I've seen some of that side of it when I was in it. Um, and it makes you quite resilient, but it also makes you very aware of I've got to figure out these person quite quickly. But I would do that if I didn't do this, because I, I love I love sort of, you know, I always say to my husband, I'm never wrong about people. I'm never wrong about people. And I'll say she's behaving this way because of X. He's doing this because of that. Yeah. And I've never been wrong. So if this all goes tits up one day, you might find that I'll be like Dr. Sharma and, uh, you know, I'd never seen ever be in my clinic. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Do you know, the, um, uh, I had a, co- a conversation once with a, a an NLP person, a, a master practitioner, who I was actually on a course with to learn about NLP. Yeah. But we were talking away from the course, have over a beer afterwards, and I remember saying, saying to him, "This would have been ten years ago, probably now." Mm. Uh, something along the lines of if I had my time over again I'd become a sports psychologist because I'm just fascinated by the psychology of what it takes to win um, in a sporting environment because I just I love sport that's uh, one of my other passions but and he just said to me why don't you do it then and I went oh shut up with your NLP stuff like I I know I could do that if I really wanted to but but ultimately you know I I still I'm deeply passionate about hospitality this is why this podcast exists and but it is it's the psychology of things generally now just fascinates me beyond yeah me too and I just think it's not you know it it applies in anything you do you know you just it's not hospitality thing but it's you if you can work with people and adapt and understand why people behave a certain way it's not a bad thing yeah you know and I read a lot of books on on um you know, I've read books like Water Off a Duck's Back, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, How to Work with Idiots, because, you know, in every type of job that you're ever in, there's always going to be somebody that you deal with that you think, oh, man. And it's you that has to adapt, unfortunately. Yeah. It shouldn't be that way, but it's no, you no. that has to go, oh. 
Um, that is a, that's a basic NLP principle, isn't it? Is that nobody yeah. really gets to tell you how you react to anything. That's all on you. So even if somebody I is... Find that, I find that really difficult because, you know, people say, well, you you choose how you react to something. You choose to be upset. You choose... You sometimes think, well, yeah. hear what, just, what was just said. You know, it's easier said than done a lot of times, isn't it? You do have to some, sometimes go, you know, take the emotion out of it. You know, that's a, a skill that I'm trying to sort of develop. To, to you know better myself really because um yeah you know you can it, the mind is just amazing when yeah. you think if you can if you can understand people you'll get you'll get the best out of them yeah and, totally and even that that's what you just said there is a is a self-awareness thing right is that that you know you want to become better at that so you yeah. you know that when something happens that triggers you into a reaction you know that you want to not be triggered <laughs> <laughs> um, I pull those three books back out. I'm like Jesus. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it did. But you know, and the thing is about all of that is the the one thing that I've learned more than anything else. I suppose that comes back to the the book title. At least I've not read the subtle art of giving a. a, a can I say that it's my own yeah, podcast? Fuck right. yes. Um, <laughs> and is that uh, I I definitely give give a fuck less than I used to, and that's yeah. not that I don't care. I absolutely care as much as I ever have. But actually, it's now more about look at this. What we were talking about earlier on. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do me. Yeah. Like, and you know, just accept that or not. And I was really bad at that early in my career. I, I was. I think we've all been bad. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I like young. I think as you get older, you. I mean, this is what this book's about. It's not about don't care. It's care about the things that matter. Yeah. Don't get upset about the stuff that someone has said or an email that you've misinterpreted. You know, and that's where that comes back to that you make that choice to go. You know, that's what the book's about, really. It's about um, don't give yourself a heart attack and die because you've got annoyed by something someone said. Yeah. Um, learn to go, forget, forget it. It's, that's their problem. <clears throat> but it's it's easier than done. Yeah, absolutely. God, we're turning into a psych- psychological podcast now well, as well. Been, I think I've taken it down this route, haven't I, by telling yeah, you what I don't mind that. do this. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What what other questions would you ask yourself? <laughs> God, no. Ooh. <laughs> We could be here all day. If I, I know, I know. <laughs> but that's fine. We'll leave it there. I picked up on something earlier on in your career as well when you talked about how, uh, like, the, the the mass marketing element back when you started was mm. uh, very much around printing. It's yeah. obviously not that way now. How have you found that that evolution within your own kind of world and marketing? How have you kind of gone about that? Has it just been one of those things whereby you kind of don't really have a choice? I think part of that you have to move with stuff you know and actually you know I we're a very small company so I have to dabble with social uh you know and I've always put my hands up and said look I I have my own account and I like posting food and where I've been but you know this takes a different type of younger person now um someone who just does TikTok or someone who just does Instagram and I think as a as a marketing generalist which we which we are at CMO level you've got to have your hand in everything Mm. and understand it Uh, and I certainly have that you know I've always kind of said I know what we need to be doing but actually sometimes you need to get that help and to go uh, you know this person's an expert in paid ads I know why we need to do it and we need to do this, but let, let's hire that skill set or whether that's that person who specializes in content creation. And marketing has really changed in not just hospitality, but generally, it, you know, and it, it was, like I said, you know, Harrods is very data driven, which was amazing for its time. 
Uh, whereas our house wasn't, you know, we didn't have a CRM system. You didn't know that if somebody had stayed at Babington, that they drink a Prosecco in Shoreditch house and they have a wax at Cowshed, you wouldn't have been able to, you know, decide that information, yeah. therefore tailor your marketing. But we were, we did that at Harrods and that was amazing. But yeah, the, the, the marketing landscape has completely changed in, in that, you know, it, it is all digital now and um, you've got to pay to play. You know, we do a lot of things organically and it's slow I mean, you know, when I come back and say, we, we've got to invest in this, we've got to put money behind this. And we're starting to do that now. You know, we've got an amazing agency that helps us all of our paid social and it's testing ground. You know, and again, you've got to manage expectation and say, we spent X, it will drive this. And that's still testing phase. But we need to understand the customer um, and how they're behaving towards our ads and our products and our campaigns. So, yeah, I'm having to learn all the time as well. You know, um, but I think you also have to put your hand up and kind of say, I can't do it all. Yeah. This where we need to hire X. Um, and, and we're doing that now as a business, you know, we're scaling up. So I'm like, we, we need that digital person, whether they're in-house or out-house. We have a great PR agency um, that do a lot of great coverage, uh, you know, deliver a lot of great coverage for us. And, and PR hasn't really changed, to be honest. That's always kind of been, you still need that print review. Obviously, there's lots of digital versions of it. But that all obviously comes under my remit and my role. So, you know, we work with great people. And like I said, when we see we see a gap, we we feel that. Because, you know, you can't be that person that says, well, I can do it all. Yeah. And, yeah, well, and, small. yeah. and the landscape continues to change as well, right? I mean, with the... continue change. You know, um, Bill, our founder, spoke at a, at a conference about blockchain technology and, you know, NFTs. And we're like, what the hell? You yeah. know, you want to learn about this? You know, <laughs> so it's um, marketing is a great career because you always have to evolve. You know, it's not like law or something where, you know, you, you graduate and you can probably get by um for the rest of your career i'm always reading and and trying to absorb information you just have to in these kind of roles yeah totally yeah great well uh a couple more things before i let you yeah sure crack on with your day um what else i can tell you yeah well we we haven't uh talked about uh, a funny story from your career so it's something i always like to ask everybody that comes on have you got any funny stories that you can share with us a funny job and maybe the story kind of links to the role but yeah. uh, when I again this links back to food so you know this is where my passion properly started when I was 16 I did um weekend work in an exotic fruit factory uh of in course Birmingham. exotic what? fruit not just any old fruit field what was the exotic Fruit. Oh, it was things like mangoes and papayas and tomatillos and avocados, which Proper. back in the day, yeah, yeah, avocados. But we supplied the supermarkets, so it was Safeway and Sainsbury's. Safeways, um, jeez, and God, I remember them. I ended up working for this company from the age of sixteen to twenty-one. I took a year off from college to save, so I went. I went there, and in that gap year, they hired me from being, you know, the fruit packer to the quality assurance inspector. So, you know, I'm like white hat, white coat, literally checking melons. You know, it, it was like, wow. I, I would be putting like a sugar level tester into mangoes and making sure cherry tomato specs were what the supermarkets wanted. So that in itself, that role always led to people going, Pooja's a, me- a melon squeezer. You know, uh, she's a mango squeezer. I was going to um, say, there's probably then, a euphemism in there somewhere. But... Of course. You're talking yeah. to me. And then, and then I got promoted to the office. Um, and I was my job title was the receiver. So I'd gone from <laughs> a melon squeezer to a receiver. And that job basically was me with a, a red book, like a bit of a This Is Your Life book. 
And any produce that came in from Holland, whether it was peppers or cherry tomatoes, literally unloaded off these trucks. And the guys with the forklift truck would then give me all the paperwork. So I would literally receive this product and fill it all in this book. And then ring up the supplier and saying, well, your fine beans are a bit crusty. I want some money off. Well, your mangoes are a bit soft. But that 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 for me was just a funny job. You know, if you were to say people say to people, this is what you did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that's my that's my funny story. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's, that's and you were quite young as well. Right. So 16 when I started. Yeah, yeah. It's quite a lot of responsibility to um, ensure that these melons are getting squeezed in the right yeah. way at that age. Um, it, it, it actually was because, you know, if they didn't meet the specs for these supermarkets, they then went to the markets because right. obviously you wouldn't bin this product. But, um, you know, it was it was amazing. So, yeah, that was definitely that was definitely my first encounter with the food world. Yes, and still and, going strong, and you know they 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 supply Marks and Spencer things like that now. So you know, right? Yeah. Um, but, well, I, I I think the um they probably put the word goods in front of that receiver now <laughs> as um as a job title. Yeah, you can't call somebody that anymore. Just yeah to uh, yeah. Uh, we probably don't need to go there. But that's I get... the same company that nicknamed me Poojie Pants, by the way. Oh, uh, okay. So, well, it's got um... it stuck that long. My word. Yeah, yeah. That that's where it came from. From from literally sixteen years old. And I always keep thinking, do I change it? Like I'm four, I'm forty three at the minute. Do I... Everyone's like, no, it's who you are. It's what people know you as. Yeah. Um, don't change it to Poojie Charm Jones. Be boring, you know. Nope. Um. So I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, my uni mates still call me Pigeon. And I, uh, well, and now I, I know Phil. You're not going to be called Phil anymore. It. Well, and you know, now this has gone out into the public domain. That's just what yeah. my name's going to be everywhere now, isn't it? But yeah, there are worse things to be called. <laughs> um, great stuff. Well, uh, final question: uh, What would be your three main reasons why somebody should come and join hospitality as a career? I think I've touched on one of them before. So you I have. think yep. it, it's so accessible. You know, so if you are somebody who loves people and great service and great food great drink um you know it's it's somewhere that you can accelerate quite quickly if you demonstrate passion that's fundamentally what you need you know the companies will give you everything else you need so you know and you you meet amazing people so i think accessibility you know you can accelerate growth quickly you meet amazing people everyone is a champion of everybody everyone who i've worked with whether it's marketing or ops we all know each other and if you behave yourself those people will look after you i think it's a really close-knit community so that's my second reason and third reason uh to join hospitality um it's just great bloody fun yes it's just great fun and um you know i don't know anybody that i've got a lot of friends who do what i do for other groups and D and you know corbin and king i think it's now called uh walsley group that's right yeah um and uh we just we just share we're in a group on a, on a whatsapp chat we're friends but we're in hospitality and you and you just you know it's fun the things you share the things you learn i'm also on a big whatsapp group about 300 of us and the things and knowledge that we share in that group you know you can go on there and say here's a picture of my dog looking cute to oh hey i'm looking for someone to help me with my social media who can you recommend and i just think yeah, it all links together. I think what I've just said, those three points, yeah. it's a bloody nice industry and you'll be looked after if you want to be there and yeah. uh, put that effort in. Yeah, so I think they're my three, they're my three things. Beautiful. That will do it for sure. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It's been uh, it's been a joy to have you on. I'm glad we were able to do this. And, um, thank and you, with- Phil. Honestly, this has been a, a nice Friday highlight just before I have my lunch. 
chatted to you and um it's good to remind you of where you've come from because you don't you forget don't you it's on a cv somewhere yeah. when you talk about it you go oh god I've, I've done a lot but so no i appreciate you um choosing me for your your latest episode my absolute pleasure and i wish you guys all the very best i think you've got a cracking product and Thank you. um yeah I, I, you deserve all the success that come comes your way and i shall be uh, ordering some espresso martinis you very soon. Thank you, Phil. Great stuff. Take care. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And there we have it. I think we can all agree that Pooja has forced herself one hell of a career so far, and she's clearly as passionate as ever about the world of hospitality. I'll be back again next week as we close out the season with something just a little bit special, so I hope you'll join me for that. I'll see you then.